Welcome to the Not Your Normal Social Emotional Learning Podcast. My name is Nini White, and in this episode, I'm going to briefly describe the amazing and exquisitely challenging opportunity to develop your 21st century teaching skills, which include and then go far beyond your 20th century teaching skills. The thing is, even though a learning curve is involved, these additional skills make so much sense that even just starting to incorporate them will give new life and meaning to your professional development, which will work, which will quickly show itself in greatly energized and energizing experiences with your students. Sound good? Good. We're 19 years into the 21st century with all its previously unimagined challenges and colossal opportunities. And I'm wondering, has it become apparent to you yet that those previously unimagined challenges and colossal opportunities are making it absolutely essential for all of us educators to rethink not only what we teach, but far more importantly, how we teach what the heck, I'm going to reword that comment about how we teach to how we facilitate learning by exercising even our youngest students' natural-born abilities, namely critical thinking, communication, collaboration, and creativity, often referred to as the four C's. If you think about it, even though it might at first seem like an overwhelming challenge, We as educators must nurture our students' potential to be actual contributors in this rapidly evolving world of ours. And developing their four C's is one extremely important way to do that. As a former teacher, now as a consultant and trainer, I have worked with numerous preschool and elementary teachers who were dealing with serious behavior challenges in their classrooms. More often than not, those teachers were ignoring what their so-called problem students desired and required. To fully and genuinely engage in school, those students needed to experience their school time experience as relevant to their real-life experiences. Time and again, I have observed that a teacher's ability to build belonging within a class environment of creative and collaborative problem-solving, an environment in which students feel encouraged to share their experiences, their observations, and their thinking skills, is the ultimate ingredient necessary for genuinely meaningful, in other words, relevant, educational experiences. And by relevant educational experiences, I mean educational experiences that will be carried into real life and make differences that are positive, that are constructive, that quite simply make life better. Those rare and wonderful teachers who prioritize the building of belonging are the same teachers who succeed at enlivening to one degree or another the four C's into all aspects of their classrooms. Creating this environment requires a clear intention to do things differently. 
And yes, at the start, it takes a bit of time, patience, and effort on the teacher's part to reevaluate and blast through long-established traditional routines and practices that prescribe the teacher's role as the expert who delivers information and evaluates students while the students are related to mainly as blank slate receivers of information. Since this podcast is about social-emotional learning, let's look at something every teacher on the planet can relate to. Class management challenges. Who among us teachers does not want students to do what needs to be done without always having to ask them to do what needs to be done? And who among us teachers did not want students to be independent problem solvers, to cooperate and to constructively collaborate with their peers, to be in touch with and demonstrate skill at identifying and appropriately expressing their feelings and even the feelings of others? I mean, really, when our students have those sets of skills, our jobs are much, much easier. So why would any of us ever think that not developing students' four Cs would enable us to develop those kinds of self-sufficient students? I mean, does that even make any sense? I mean, logically, does it make any sense? Okay, I'm just going to say it. Behavior charts and other, all other forms of external motivators are just so last century, just so last paradigm. Sure, external motivators were appropriate when school was all about preparing a future workforce that was ready and willing to do the kind of work that didn't require much on-the-spot presence of mind and didn't require people skills that enabled more efficient crowdsourcing for win-win outcomes, that didn't require anything more from workers than to do as they were told by higher-up authorities or supervisors who were extensions of school teachers. But that was then, and this is so now. I mean, it's in the news every time we turn around. These are the days of youth activists, kids still in high school, maybe even in middle school, challenging all the norms around gun ownership, environmental stewardship, hashtag Me Too, Native American rights, LGBTQ rights, racial justice, and so much more. If we're not respecting and nurturing our youngest students' innate capacity to recognize and honor feelings, to think creatively and collaboratively, then we are missing some mighty wonderful and powerful learning opportunities for our students and for us. And we're just going to have more and more behavior problems in our classrooms because kids are waking up to their own potential strengths even without our help. Reminds me of something I read recently. Change is tough, but the only alternative to change is eventual obsolescence. (laughs) That sounds kind of rough, but if you look back through time, it's kind of impossible to deny the truth of that statement, eh? So what kind of change are we talking about? Is it so difficult to imagine? I mean, really? Is engaging kids in peer group collaborative problem-solving exercises around their social-emotional challenges such a daunting concept? It really doesn't have to be. It really doesn't. 
especially with an initial mindset of respect for kids' fundamental capacity, inborn, hardwired in them to empathize, to connect, to look beyond the obvious for solutions that really do work for everyone. This is what kids want. They just need our help with respectfully guiding their discovery of the answers that work best for them by asking the kinds of questions that activate and anchor more of their critical thinking skills and more of their creativity and more of their communication skills and more of their natural inclination to collaborate constructively, all of which builds belonging, healthy belonging. Here are a couple of practical exercises for you. Present pictures of relevant challenges to your students. You can find all kinds of images on Google Images, image searches. Of course you can. You know that. Start with questions that draw your students into the picture you're showing them. You know, the where, the what, what time, who else might be around, what was happening before the moment captured in this picture. Then you ask questions about what, you, what they see going on in the picture. Ask what will happen next if the challenging behavior continues. Then perhaps ask about alternative outcomes. Do you see how the whole point is to get them creatively and collaboratively thinking about familiar challenges without, without providing answers, which they would probably tune out unless the, those answers come from themselves, from each other, right? You remember when you were a kid, right? Oh, gosh, I sure do. Here's another set of exercises which can take just five to ten minutes yet accomplish so much. Show pictures of familiar emotions. But please, please, not emojis or cartoons or stick figures. Not animals, not line drawings. It's not that hard to find pictures of real emotions on the Internet. And it's not like you're going to sell them, so you won't get sued for using them. You can just show them to your students and have group discussions. Choose emotions that, for example, genuinely capture sadness, shyness, frustration, joy, curiosity, selfishness, illness, stubbornness, and the list goes on. And they don't have to just necessarily be pictures of kids in all those emotions, because uh, children live around adults, too, and they can make that transfer, usually, of an emotion from one age group to another. You want to be sure to allow all students who want to share their insights about the emotions they're seeing to speak up. One thing very powerful about these situations, the kids will be listening to each other much more than you might at first have imagined they would. Listening to each other and learning from each other. These sessions change behaviors, not because they should change, but because the kids are really taking in what is being said by each other, especially when we ask questions that guide our students' discovery, open-ended questions that communicate our respect for our students' ability to think things through when we ask questions like, what do you think happened to make that girl look so sad? How long do you think she will be sad? Who in this group knows what it feels like to be sad? Did your sadness finally end? 
What helped to make your sadness end? Did it come back? What made your sadness come back? Did any of you ever see someone who was sad and you helped them to feel less sad? What did you do or what did you say to help that person? Why did you do that? Images are so important for a number of reasons, especially to make sure everyone is on the same page. And by everyone, we want to include uh, English language learners, too. Okay, so all of this lines up with the brain science of learning. And so in the next episode of this podcast, I'll present part three about the four parts of the brain that must be activated and engaged for real learning that gets remembered and really used in similar and even slightly similar situations. In other words, because we've exercised our students' four C's, we've enabled them to transfer their understanding into wider and more diverse real-life challenges. Now those are 21st century teaching skills that will matter for your students' whole lives. Thank you very much. I've always hoped this podcast would create a bridge between you, me, and all of us together. And now a new way to begin to build and enjoy that bridge has just been developed. If you'd like, you can leave voice messages from any browser, even on mobile, via any podcast app without having to download the Anchor app, which is the one in which I record this podcast. All you need to do is tap a link in the show notes to send your voice messages, no matter what device or browser you're using or which app you use to listen to this podcast. If that doesn't work, you can also click the button on my podcast's Anchor profile. Hopefully, this will take you to a window where you can record a message up to one minute long. Once you hit send, you're done. I'll be notified every time someone sends a voice message. I would really love to hear from you so that we can make this a two-way conversation. Any thoughts, any questions are welcome. Until next time, let's keep learning and growing for everyone's benefit.